Amen. If you would, remain standing and open your Bibles to the familiar passage of Proverbs 8. I'll continue to use this proverb as that launching commandment and precept to help us understand the topic that we've been addressing over these several weeks. Well, brothers and sisters, before I read the text, let's ask the Lord's blessing upon us, and then we'll get into our study. Let's pray. Now, blessed triune God, we come to ask your blessing upon us as we preach the gospel, and it's preached in weakness, Lord, the human weakness. Come and give it strength. Come and give your word efficacy, Lord, toward the elect. Make it powerful, Lord, to build up and to tear down, to foster faith, to motivate, Lord, your sons and daughters to obedience, to shine forth your love for us and all of mankind in these laws that you've given us for life. Bless the hearer, Lord, in weakness, Lord, Be with each one, their ears, Lord, their hearts, their minds. May they be receptive to your word. May they receive it by faith, accept it, and hide it in their hearts. Lord, that they would grow thereby and learn not to sin, Lord, in regard to this commandment. So come, Lord, bless your name first and foremost. And bless us, Lord, as you see fit. We pray it in Christ's name, amen. Brothers and sisters, Proverbs chapter 8, verse 32 through 36, hear the word of the Lord. Now, therefore, O sons, listen to me, for blessed are they who keep my ways. Heed instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching Daily at my gates, waiting at my doorpost. For he who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who sins against me injures himself. And all those who hate me love death. And thus ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. This proverb is fitting and perfect for what we are doing and what I have set out to do to take advantage of this opportunity for our uh, Georgia representatives to do away with this heinous stain, this immoral stain of abortion in our state. This year, there will be over 30,000 unborn babies aborted in this state alone. That's a staggering number. And so we are attempting to educate ourselves, inform ourselves with the word of God. That is, if we're going to make this claim that abortion is heinous in God's sight, we have to support the claim. We're not just allowed to make even theological, fantastical statements without finding a way to undergird it it with truth so that we know how to 
well, meet the debates of our day. And this is one of them. Now, I set out to demonstrate that abortion is heinous, obviously on its face, but more than that, it violates each one of God's commandments. That is, that summary of his moral law, that natural law that was written on the heart of every man in the beginning summarized in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, those 10 words, those 10 commandments that summarize God's law, it breaks every one of them. Now, there are connections, but I've been showing you blatant connections, that is, valid connections, clear connections. This is not a stretch. It's not... Five moves before we get there, these are, have all been, I've only pointed out a few in each sermon that demonstrate that abortion breaks each one of these commandments. And my goal this morning is to demonstrate how abortion violates the eighth commandment. Exodus 20 and verse 15, thou shall not steal. One of the things I hope for as we work through these commandments is that it stirs you up to meditate upon God's law. As Proverbs says that it's his will that's important. The proverbial father says, listen to me. For blessed are they who keep my ways, who who know them so they can keep them. Heed instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. That's what we've been doing. We've been instructing ourselves. What's the purpose of this instruction? Not just to fill our heads with this knowledge so that we can go out and beat people up with it, but so that we would be wise sons and daughters of the living God that we would be wise in how we approach things and how we live, how we conduct our own personal affairs because we have to start with ourselves. Before we start with anyone out here, we must begin with ourselves and we have to purge our own hearts of those things that rise up against God's commandments. We want to be blessed, and the Bible is clear. Blessed is the man that listens to me, God says, watching daily at my gates, waiting at my doorpost. Why? Because the motivation here in verse 35 says, because he who finds me, that's synonymous with his commandments, to find his commandments, to know his commandments is to find God, his will, with the desire to carry it out, finds life. And as we have demonstrated and as we see all around us that when God is rejected and denied and even when there are wars waged against his name and righteousness, they find death. They produce a death 
culture, a culture of death. And, and that's, beloved, so complex, so multifaceted, so many layers to it that it is worthy of your meditation. It is worthy of your quiet time to begin to really just think and pray through what is this culture of death? What does this death look like? Because it doesn't always, it's not always glaring. Simple atheism is death. Just simple atheism, simple neglect of re true religion, simple neglect of repentance of sin, the simple neglect of acknowledging that we are in great need of forgiveness and salvation fosters death. The death of the soul, the death of affections, the death of the family, the death of a culture, the death of commerce, the death of a nation, the death of beauty. It's not an accident that that stuff that is called art is as ugly and vile and offensive as anything that you can think of. It's not art. But, that, but that's what happens when, when, when God is denied and rejected, you begin to lose those things that validate life, that make life vibrant, robust, and, and, and meaningful. And beauty is part of that. This is our father's world. And he made it in a way for us to enjoy, whether in a religious sense and even in our recreational sense, to, re, to enjoy recreation. Creation is all points to God's goodness, God's care, God's benevolence, God's love for us. When we look at the sunsets, when we look at the sunrises, when we look at the mountain, I mean, I, look, I mean, when we look at one another, we see beauty. We can see beauty in features. We can see beauty in character. We can see beauty in manners. Some of the most beautiful people I know are not that way naturally, but they are that way in their character. They are that way in their manners and they are that way in their sweet disposition. And they are beautiful people. And these, these are the things, beloved, that we often and have, I would say for decades, taken for granted, centuries taken for granted. It is not safe to sin against God. It's not safe to deny him. It's not safe to offend him. And all who do, the scripture says, injures himself, harms himself. And yes, that may be a long road of bearing that fruit, but it's true from the beginning to the end. Well, how do I take the eighth commandment and begin to help us understand that it is a direct and particular violation or that abortion 
particularly violates this commandment. Well, if I were to just read out of the larger catechism, which I was tempted to do, but won't do for the sake of our time, but it talks about, it's not just the taking of a piece of property. I mean, what is theft? What is, well, let's back up. What's the essence of the commandment? The protection of personal property. Now, that's interesting that God cares about your property because God cares about his property. This is his world. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, right? He doesn't want to share his glory with anyone else. He is a jealous God. There are things that he possesses that are meaningful and they matter to him and he will protect it. And so we do, made in his image, have that opportunity to what? Possess things and own them. They are our property. But it's not just the natural things like maybe this hymnal belongs to me and you're not allowed to take it. But my person belongs to me. Your person belongs to you. Your ideas belong to you. We're not allowed to take those inanimate objects. We're not allowed to unlawfully violate somebody's property, violate their person. We're not allowed to steal their reputation, steal their honor. We're not allowed to do that. Honor is something that's tangible and and it can be possessed and we should all want to possess honor for ourselves. Why? Because we are made in the image of God and I've stated it over and over and over and we ought to grow up in that image and be honorable men and women. We ought to possess integrity. We ought to have a good reputation and strive for that good reputation but some we're not allowed to steal one another's reputation. The Bible tells us that a good name is better than gold and silver. So it's not just, I mean, there's intellectual property as I've already stated. So there are a number of things that the eighth commandment addresses. That's not just simply taking someone's book or pencil. It's deeper, it's broader than that. And it's something that we ought to take note of. In fact, well, I'll get there, but the the confession uses a term that I think you will find uh, interesting, um, even though it was written several hundred years ago, it's very applicable to our current political climate. So let's address this commandment from three ways, from three directions. I think the first one, we need to direct our attention to the unborn child, to the unborn child. How does abortion rob this unborn child? Well, on its face, you all are saying it in your heads from his life. It steals his life. But it's actually harsher than that. It's more grievous than that. It's not just the simple of the taking away of life. It's how we need to view the biblical and theological understanding of death itself. Death is a very 
It's a powerful thing. And even in the womb where the child is murdered, what's taking place is the separation, just as if the child had been born, just like it's going to happen to any one of us if you are in any way when you die, your body is severed from your soul. There is a unnatural separation of body and soul. That's not natural. Death is not natural to this world. It came as a result of offending God. It came as a result of man seeking to live his own way, not God's way. Death entered into this world through sin. If you go back to Genesis chapter 2, just a couple of things I want to point out because, again, I can make this, this, pardon me, this comment and many people would say, well, that's fine and good, but the soul is where it's at. You know, this body is breaking down. We look in the mirror. It's not what it used to be. It's not getting any better. Well, it's just the prison house of the soul anyway. We're just waiting to be liberated from the body. Well, that does minimize what I'm talking about. And it's, it's heretical. When you look at Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, it says, And then the Lord God formed man from the dust, from the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. But notice, under the inspiration of the Holy Scripture, Moses writes, and he says that God formed man from the dust. When he formed the dust of the ground and he heaped it together, whatever that looked like, a body, and however which way, it's called a man. He formed man from the dust of the ground. The body came first. And God made it. And everything God made, everything God made, he called very good. He formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. He gave him a soul. And the man became a living, the text says, a living being, an animated being. The soul animated his body. The body couldn't be what it needed to be without the soul, but the soul also needs the body. There are souls right now in heaven without their body. And what are they waiting on? The book of Revelation tells us they are waiting for that day of salvation when all of salvation will be made complete and each one receive, according to faith or not, a glorified body or an indestructible body. 
The saints will receive a glorified body. They will be united with a glorified body, raised from the grave. That's why the Bible calls the grave for the Christian a bed, a resting place. It calls the grave of an unbeliever a prison cell, held in captivity until that day where they are raised up, made indestructible, and cast into the lake of fire. God will give every unbeliever an, un, an indestructible body to be tormented day and night forever. And then all the saints will receive a glorified body. Now there's no greater truth to how valuable we are as humans made in the image of God in this flesh, made from the dust of the ground, than the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The incarnation of Jesus Christ is a capstone upon what God made as being very good, that Jesus came and put on what? Human flesh and walked among men. There's all kinds of ways. There's a whole list of things that you could go through. How, how the, the baby is robbed, the, the, that unborn child, the soul is robbed of the body. The body is robbed of the soul. It's torn apart. It's ripped apart. You could go and make a long list of things. You, can, you could say that the child is, is robbed of its life. It's robbed of it's the, the, the blessings of a human life. And, and to understand that this life is meaningful. It does matter. God gave it to us. He created this world and he gave us a body to live in this world. To particularly enjoy this world. That's not accidental. Look at... Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 24. The preacher writes, he says, There's nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that he should make his own soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw, that it was from the hand of God. Notice what the... the Notice what the preacher is saying, that it's good to enjoy the good things of life. And yet this, this child that has been conceived, that is, that is in existence, but in the womb of this mother is robbed of that enjoyment. Now I'm, just, I'm just highlighting what should be easy to understand. Yes, is there frustrations in this world? Yes, are days filled with challenges and hardships? Yes. But they also are filled with many good things. And we experience them all the time. We probably, though, focus more on the bad things than the good things. That's one reason living in this country, a first world country, has been such a blessing. Amen? 
that we've been able to go down and, and, and make a living and be paid well for our, our gifts and services and talents and commitments and loyalty and all of those things so that we could prosper ourselves, our homes and our families, so that we could go down, so that we could have celebrations and invite our church friends over, invite our friends over and do all of these things that, well, make life enjoyable. Even like worshiping, our hearts are filled with gladness. And I'm going to say more about that later. I'm not just being materialistic. I'm not just being temporal minded. I'm here to explain the whole counsel of God's word. And the whole counsel of God's uh, God's word teaches us that this life matters. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. The preacher goes on to say, I know that there is no good in them, but for man to rejoice and to do good in his life. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all of his labor. It is the gift of God. Yeah, brothers and sisters, abortion robs the preborn child of his life. But even that life that exists in this natural world, the natural order of things that God created for that person. Now, if you're not enjoying it, and you're not finding ways to enjoy it and rejoice and give thanks to God, that's a personal problem, right? If you can't see the good hand of God in your life, you're not looking. You're not looking. If you can't find the good things in your life, and see it connected to your heavenly father, you are being willfully blind to it because it's obvious when you just sit back and begin, Lord, open my eye, help me to see these things. Maybe there needs to be some repentance where we have focused so long and for so, such, given such strength over to all the negative things in our life instead of rejoicing in many of the good things in life. It's not that the negative things shouldn't be addressed. They should be, and we should pray about them, but not in neglect of the good. It is true, beloved, that abortion does steal the life of the child but it stills more. It's not just that momentary medical procedure and it's no more. It stills so much more. And the only way you can grasp that is for you to find out and to look around your own life and begin to count your own blessings because that is also what it steals from that unborn child. And that's why that child made in the image of God and valued should be protected. Let's address, let's address the um, mother. Because again, I could 
spend a, a whole list of things talking about the child and, and, and you know, the, 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 the gospel and coming and worshiping the Lord and growing and all of these various things and coming to a, a knowledge, a saving knowledge of God. We could talk about, I mean, there's like 15 of these things that I came up with. But these are the things I want us to focus on concerning how the child is violated and how it breaks the eighth commandment. The child deserves, just as every one of us, a chance to experience the good things in this life and to praise God for them. He deserves that. He was conceived for those things. It's not accident. It's not accidental that that child was conceived. And to take that away is to rob that child not only of his life, tearing his soul from his body, but even from possessing all of these good things that we have in this world. Let's address the mother. And I have a hard time, be honest with you, calling the person that willfully goes down to take, to have an abortion a mother. <laughs> it, it, just, it just, it does something to me when I use that word mother with that. But nevertheless, I think that's the point, right? She becomes a mother. Whether she intended to or not, she's now a mother. What the woman or any of the people surrounding her, motivating her, and encouraging her for this abortion, whether it's family, a boyfriend, a husband, or whatever, or just a, a common friend, all of this, all of this we call it pressure put upon her to have this abortion. All of these, this, this crowd is guilty, obviously at different degrees, but are guilty. But when this woman, when this mother goes down to have this child aborted, murdered, she is robbing herself of her own humanity. She is robbing herself of her own gift of femininity and what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a helpmeet, what it means to be created in the image of God as a woman. She begins to rob herself of those things. I, I, the text of Scripture that I had in mind that I wanted to bring to your attention is it, it just... Turn in your Bible. I want you to put your eyes on this. This Exodus chapter 2. Now I was praying and I was like, Lord, help me. Just help me grasp this idea to convey it um, of how unnatural this is. And, and to the, to, in the degree of how unnatural it is, is the attack upon her own nature as a woman. Well, look at Exodus 2 and verse 6. 
Now, this is the story of Pharaoh's daughter. I'll back up to verse 5. It says, The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile with her maidens walking alongside the Nile. And she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid, and she brought it to her. And then she opened it, and she saw the child. And behold, the boy was crying. And she had pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Now I'm just going to stop there because you can read the rest of it. Here's the thing that I believe the Lord showed me. In this text of Scripture, what do we have? We have Pharaoh's daughter. Now, Pharaoh despised the Hebrews. I'm sure the topic in the house was a degree of disgust for the Hebrews. They were considered sort of nasty people. They were shepherds. And they had been turned into slaves for Egypt. But notice, what does this Egyptian princess do when she sees one of the Hebrew children? The text tells us she had pity. She pitied him. She could have easily closed the basket up and tossed it back into the Nile for the crocodiles to eat or for the baby to just starve to death. She didn't do that. In her womanly instinct of care and nurture, she said, this is one of the Hebrew children. And she pitied that child. Brothers and sisters, it is unnatural. It is unnatural for a woman to want to kill her child. And when she does it, it murders. It steals from her sensitivity that God put in there for a reason. And I would say this. It's a sensitivity and a, 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 a nurture that makes this world beautiful and meaningful and worth living in. Because that's the place you want to live. You want to live in a place where people care for one another. You want to live in a place where people pity the weak. That baby, who was Moses, if you don't know the story, could not fend for itself, could not take care of itself. It would die if left alone. And this, he, this Egyptian princess pitied that child. She had the ability. She had the means. She had, and not, she had everything that would be needed to care for this child in an excellent manner. But more than that, more than those resources, she had a desire to do it. She had a will to do it. She pitied that child and she gave Moses the best of everything because she could and she wanted to. She didn't have to. She wanted to. 
Now, we can argue all day long or at least posit and in uh, insert into the conversation God's sovereign providence. And I, you wouldn't get no, any argument out of me, but we're talking about from the human perspective, aren't we? She still pitied the child. She recognized it immediately as a Hebrew baby. And they weren't supposed to have any of these male children. But she did. That person did. And as the text tells us, Moses or the baby had gotten too big to conceal. And so in the trust of God, they built a basket, put pitch on the outside of it, and put that baby adrift on the Nile where this Egyptian princess picks this baby up and pities it and begins to care for it and, take, and nurture that boy to become a man that God would go on to use in a very mighty way. Probably the most important figure in all the Old Testament is Moses. So more about this, I don't know the word, dehumanizing of oneself, but look at Isaiah chapter five because it's not in a vacuum. There are pressures there are pressures put upon young women to get abortions, to have them. The top two reasons the age group of 30 into teenage years have abortions, the top two reasons are education and jobs. Education and jobs. They're in school, and they need to finish school. Why do they need to finish school? They need to finish school so they can get a job. And they need their job to make this living and to, to not just provide for themselves, but to, to give them the dream that they've been told they need to have without a man, without a husband, without a family. But Isaiah 5 speaks to this. And it speaks to the selfishness of people and the length that they are willing to go to, to steal from others. Now, the point is that when this, this mother makes this decision to steal the life of this child, because it's not hers, her life is sustaining that life, but it's not her life. She's exercising, of, she's violating that unborn baby's life. And we're not even going to get into the argument that it's her body. It's not. It, 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 that's, that argument is a myth. It never, it's separate DNA. It just falls flat. But notice in Isaiah 5, verse 8, it says, Woe to those who add house to house and join field to field until there is no more room so that you have to live alone in the midst of of the land. That's the point being that passage is coupled with Micah. Turn there. This is the text that the larger catechism uses. And under the heading of this particular uh, proof text is the word depopulation in the larger catechism. Now, I want you to let that sink in. That's a word that's being tossed around in our political circles, isn't it? 
depopulation. What's the purpose of this? How does this depopulation break the eighth commandment? Because people are willing to steal from others and rob them of the sustenance of life so that they may have more and more and more and thus depopulize the earth. Just like a mother that decides this child is not what I want. It's going to keep me from making a living. It's going to keep me from building my wealth. It's going to keep me from from. All of my goals in life, therefore, I must abort it. It's the same thing. It's selfishness. And that mother is willing to steal the life of that child to have what she wants. What she's been told she deserves and is hers. Just go get it. In Micah chapter 2, verse 2, let's read verse 1. Woe to those who scheme iniquity, who work out evil on their beds. When morning comes, they do it, for it is in their power of their hands. They covet fields and then seize them and houses and take them away. They rob a man of his house, a man and his inheritance. Now listen, what do we know when we interpret scripture? Let's, let's use the argument of the lesser to the greater. Is it evil to rob a man of his house? Yes. Is it evil to rob a man of his, of his income, of his wealth? Yes. How much more is life? I mean, direct, directly his life. Now, this leads to the taking of his life. You take a man's food, you diminish his rations, and you kill him slowly. You take away his house and you put him out in the weather, you kill him slowly. You rob him of those, those necessities, shelter, clothing, and food, and you just begin to kill him slowly. But how much more? If, if, this, is a, if this is called evil, if, if under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it says it's, it's theft, it's iniquity, it's evil, it's covetous, to take houses and inheritance, how much more directly that unborn child's life so they can have more? Well, I I think the text speaks to this and I think she's willing to murder her unborn child so she can have stuff. Stuff. My point, brothers and sisters, She's dehumanizing herself. That's not why she was made. She was made different from the man, but like man. And she brings a nurturing quality into the world that is beautiful, that is needed, that is, that is, that is to be celebrated, that is, that is vital to the, the, the humanity of culture, of people groups, of nations. And what happens when we have all of these beautiful young women killing their babies? They are harming themselves. They are, listen, uh, I mean, Romans chapter 2, verse 15, in that they show the work of the law written on their hearts, their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. They violate their own consciences. There's no peace. 
And that's why suicide among young women who have had abortions is sky high. Why? Because they cannot escape their conscience. They can't leave. They can't go anywhere. To, they, they can't leave their conscience in another room. And there's so much guilt placed upon educators, the medical community, churches. You know, churches are really waffling on this issue right now. And, and here's what I mean by waffling. I mean, anytime you begin to equivocate, <laughs> what's the next step? You know, at first it was, no, it's a sin, it's wrong, it's murder, don't do it. We'll adopt the baby. We'll, we'll, we'll do, do not murder your child. We'll rise up. We'll take care of it. We'll find a home for it. Don't murder your child too. Well, I, I understand why you would think that. Um, but you know, I, you know, well, look, you have to make your own choices and God, you know, God understands. You, then what's the next step? Just another day in paradise. What? A, okay. I mean, we have, we, we, we already have professing Christians saying that abortion is a Right. Now, these are people that profess to be Christian. How many of these young women, and this is going to transition into my third point, how many of these young women, of these boyfriends, are in church? Or how many are in Christian homes? How many have contact with Christianity? I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure it's more than you imagine. I don't have a number. But out of the millions that have been aborted, I'm sure there's a large number of people that, have, that are Christians that come in direct contact with Christianity in some way or another. Now, that brings me to my third point because it does rob God of two things. Number one, of his creation. The Bible tells us that when he made man and woman, he gave them a dominion mandate that they would what? Go and procreate, that they would multiply themselves, that they would fill the earth with images of God, that they would have children. But there's also, after sin, there's another element involved in it, that they would also have a holy seed for the Lord's doing, for the Lord's work. That means they would raise up religious children that they would raise up children and show them the way they must go and teach them the ways of God, teach them the commandments, teach them the need for faith, teach them the need of repentance, teach them the need of a Savior. Show them who the Savior is. It's Jesus Christ, Son of God, Son of Man. And rob God of his seed. Malachi 2, verse 15. But not one has done so who has, who has a remnant of the Spirit. And what did that one do while he was seeking a godly offspring? 
Take heed to your spirit and let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. The point of Malachi 2.15 is this, that that the covenant people of God had had not only been guilty of, of offering their children to false gods, aborting them. Jeremiah chapter 5 talks about the blood being on the skirts of the Hebrew women. but also neglecting them. Now, if it's sinful to neglect them, it's obviously sinful to murder them. To rob God of the glory of the celebration in heaven that when one sinner comes to salvation, what does heaven do? Rejoice. You remember that you remember that parable? All of heaven rejoices over the repentance of one sinner. It's a powerful picture, isn't it? You see, beloved, God created man to serve and worship him. We not only rob that child of being able to grow up and come in contact with the gospel, whether in the home or whether at work or whether at the grocery store or whether pumping gas, wherever, and coming to faith in Jesus Christ just like you did, just like I did, in the most unexpected ways, and become, by God's grace, a disciple of Jesus Christ to serve and to worship him, to honor him, to glorify him, to express thanksgiving to him. We rob, that abortion robs God of that joy because the Bible tells us that God inhabits the praise of his people. It brings him joy. Now, brothers and sisters, those are just three things in three ways that abortion breaks the Eighth Commandment. And there are probably literally about two dozen more. But that's for you to go home and study. Or that's for other conversations around the lunch table and whatever. But it violates the Eighth Commandment directly. Let's pray. Father, we have talked about things that are not pleasant, things that are hard, Lord, not because we're unable to understand them. They're just hard. They're, they're, they're un- these are uncomfortable truths. We are uncomfortable thinking about them. But Lord, the reality is your word shines a light upon this topic and we can do nothing but submit to it acknowledge it understand it lord that when we go out and we become voices when we become lord those that you are that you have put in particular situations to speak to these things that we can we can and we'll be able to directly address these things
This particular sin, this, this crime of abortion, Lord, it may be in, in conformity with man's law, but it breaks your law. And it will not go unnoticed on judgment day. Lord, we pray for these Georgia representatives to do what's right, whether they like it or not. I pray, oh God, that you would do nothing but expose wrong motivations, expose selfishness. Lord, there are men and women in our own state legislator that, just, that are doing things out of, out of a means of prospering themselves, not because it's righteous and right. Expose it. Help us to identify it. Help us to see it that we might address it, Lord, and vote them out. I pray for Mr. Donahue. Lord, give him a spine of steel in these coming days as this bill is, is, is supposed to be dropped. Lord, give him a, 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 a sh the shoulders, uh, put men around him to hold his arms up like Moses. Lord, give him help, give him aid. Lord, we have undergirded him with prayer and we are asking, Lord, for you to use men and women as means to encourage him and to give him courage to do, Lord, what he has set out to do. What has motivated us, Lord, to go through these things and to give it a, a life and fervor, Lord, even in this pulpit over the last several weeks. Lord, this is the cause of it. This is the opportunity. And we ask, oh Lord, that you would be pleased at this time. Lord, we know a wiping away abortion would be pleasing to you, but we pray that at this time, you would be pleased to remove this scourge from the state. The stain, Lord, this is an evil that breeds many more evils, much more. And Lord, we see it all around us. It's infected this nation. It's blinded. Lord, it's dehumanized this nation. And no one, Lord, is, can, you can hardly find charity anymore because we've become so selfish and so inhuman in the way we treat one another. And Lord, because we cannot value and, and see as precious that unborn life. Forgive us, Lord, where we have not said what we needed to say. But what has been said, Lord, even this morning, bless it, use it for your sake, Lord, for your glory's sake, for our sake, to grow up in grace, Lord, that we might, Lord, be bold as lions to take, upon, take on this culture and to a deal with and address, Lord, these evils in our day. We pray all of this in Christ's name, amen.